Hey folks, welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast and the Mindset Matters Edition, where I'm joined by my wife and Olympic mental performance coach, Stephanie Hanlon-Francie. Together, Stephanie and I engage in a conversation about different aspects of what we refer to as Mindset Matters. We believe that we're living in and through one of the most impactful global events in history. And let's face it, few have trained for or are equipped to deal with the life that is unfolding before them. The need to pivot in your business, your career, or perhaps deal with shifting family dynamics lies before many. We hope to inspire you to ask yourself questions or pause to consider how you view your world, your life. We'll invite you to check in on where you are on your journey, and are you still clear on your intended destination, or has it changed? Join us for this in our series of Mindset Matters. Listen in, enjoy. Hey folks, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast, Mindset Matters episode. I'm joined by the very lovely, beautiful, talented, uber smart, Stephanie hanlon Francy, my uh, lovely wife and Mindset Matters... Um, Cohort, partner. Partner, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Patrick. It's always so much fun to do these with you. Now, we've got a really, I think, uh, an amazing topic today, and it's about what we refer to as the crisis advantage. Crisis, it's a big word, it means a lot. It can mean a lot to different people and what constitutes a crisis. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We also want to talk about the tips. How do we get through a crisis? Is there a great way to handle a crisis? Well, I think that's there's a bunch of questions in there, but crisis, the crisis advantage is understanding that, you know, there's a line out there and it's also a meme is don't let a good crisis go to waste, you know, because there's always things that you can learn. The adversity advantage, for example, that we discovered and um, studied with Dr. Paul Stoltz back in the day, mm -hmm. um, we learned about adversity and we learned about resilience and how we actually can harness adversity. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing right now is that the definition of crisis is different for everybody. And right now, there's a lot of people that are in high, high crisis mode, whether it's in maybe business and family and relationship, what's going on in the planet. So the definition and the word of crisis keeps getting tossed around. And I thought we, you know, should take some time to dig into it. Okay, so yeah, let's start to unpack this a little bit. And when we consider what's going on in the world, uh, we see people in crisis. And there's lots of different ways we see mental emotional, uh, spiritual, physical. We see business crisis. We we see all sorts of crisis. The big financial crisis. There's a big, you know, many of our having financial crisis. So we see crisis, but at the end of the day, let's break it down, unpack what it could mean to some of our listeners. And really, you know, there is a way to respond to crisis. And what does that actually mean? So, well, so let's, yeah, sorry, let's, let's break it down and go from one extreme because it could be extreme crisis as in, I don't know, an accident, or it can be, I've just lost one of my best staff. I mean, both are crisis, but on the scale of crisis, how do we fit that all in? Well, when a crisis hits, and we're going to identify it as a crisis, it hits us as a surprise. It comes out of the blue. So regardless of the size of the crisis, how we react to it is truly what we're going to talk about today. And um, it doesn't matter the size of the in incidents because what's a crisis to me, maybe not always isn't a crisis to you. I remember, you know, back in the day, you have a, a story about the, the Tim Hortons crisis. Yeah, well, it's an interesting story, I think, because uh, it was a real, it was a bit of an epiphany for me. This was many years ago. I'm thinking had to be 15 years ago. I was standing in lineup in Alberta 
at, at a, grabbing a coffee at a Tim Hortons. And it was at a time when Alberta's economy was booming. You couldn't get staff. Unemployment was sub 4%, which was a crisis because there was labor shortages. You couldn't get people. Restaurants were closing. Anyways, long story short, is I was observing as I stood in line waiting for my coffee that there was a supervisor trying to manage a minimum staff, an overload of people going to the window, the drive through window, and of course, the big lineup that was almost around the block, it seemed. And I could see the stress that she was in. And she was actually, at that time, I actually identified it in my mind as both stress and crisis and was observing her and how she was reacting to it. And as much as she was dealing with it in terms of directing people to where they needed to go, what they needed to do, I realized in that moment that here's this young lady, you know, being paid whatever it was back then, and we'll say 12 bucks an hour or 15 bucks an hour, whatever the number is, is irrelevant. She was carrying as much stress and is in as big a crisis as I was in dealing with a startup company that I was dealing with at the time as a president with multi-millions of dollars on the, on the table and realized in that moment that my stress as that startup president and her stress as that supervisor of a very busy Tim Hortons Guess what? There was crisis situations happening in that moment, and I was observing it. And so for her, it was just as real as it was for me on a, on a different scale. And I think it's the same for all of us. And until we can step back a little bit and observe our reactions to what we perceive as a crisis, think about, you know, the word first responder. It's not first reactor. Mm. You know, the first responder on the, to the scene of an accident, for mm. example, is highly trained mm. under stressful situations. Mm -hmm. Stress and Managing adversity is a trained skill. Mm -hmm. So is responding to a crisis. So it's not doesn't have to happen just automatically. It can be trained if you manufacture certain scenarios. Think about a flight simulator, for example. Pilots are going through all these different scenarios mm -hmm. where they have to, um, you know, maybe land on the Potomac, for example. Well, like we Sally were in a, did. we were in a we were in a flight simulator, and you know. Our guide headed me right towards Mount Baker, said, you're going to crash into the mountain. I had to pull up a 747. It was a crisis in that moment. but we were It felt so real. Oh, yeah. Put me there now, and I would take it on. I would like go right over that mountain. No problem. Yeah, it's like a cellular memory, to, <laughs> sure. though, too, right? So yeah. there's things that we can draw from from past crises that we can bring forward. But I think it's really important is that it's... Unless it's trained and until we bring awareness, it becomes a survival mechanism. When we go into a crisis or a crisis occurs, survival kicks in. And if survival is the only thing that kicks in, our primal instincts get activated. So what happens when I say primal instincts, it's like our, our focus narrows. Mm -hmm. Our breathing gets more shallow. And sometimes even our strength can increase. So think about the story of the mom lifting up a car, for example, mm -hmm. that's run over her child. Like that's unhuman. Mm -hmm. But that's the kind of things that happen under stress or in a crisis. So we have to be able to be aware that there are going to be certain physiological reactions to a crisis, and we can actually train those. Yeah. And so the extreme is a mom picking up a car and what that's an extreme, the physiological side of things. But the first, I want to, let's go back to what you said, which is, you know, how our first response is to understand crisis is how do we respond to crisis? You know, and there can be back to your mom's story. I mean, it could be a crisis if you're trying to get three kids off to school and a husband out the door, if that's the scenario. And all of a sudden, you know, you burn breakfast, you know, you're in that mode. It's a crisis. You know, everybody's running now late. You're, you know, everything goes off the rails, but you have to then look at it and go, how do I respond to this crisis? And you can't know that until you bring your awareness to it. So first step, always bring your awareness to how you respond to the crisis and know know that 
there is always a better way to respond to it. And we have to train ourselves. And I think that's really part of our message. And one of the biggest messages we want to get across today is that whatever the crisis, whether it's a burnt breakfast or, you know, uh, calling an ambulance or coming across an accident, all of these. A volcano erupts. Whatever it might be. <laughs> I don't know. COVID. COVID. You know, and the next thing you know, you're locked down. You've got a financial stress. There's all sorts of what we would consider a crisis. And uh, the first step in dealing and being trained is having an awareness of how you respond in a crisis. What matters to you? Now, we also know that, back to your point around the physiological shift, we know that uh, we've all met what we would refer to sometimes as, you know, that individual, we'd call them uh, him and her, by the way, him or her in my world, you, you refer to them as a drama queen. It's like everything's a drama. Drama king, drama queen. Drama king, drama queen, whatever it might be, everything's a crisis. And what we've come to learn about that is that is physiologically, there is an addiction to that response. You know, you have a physiological charge that shows up. And if you're surrounded by people who buy into that drama, then guess what? You have a tendency to want to create them. And we've I'm sure most of us have met those individuals where you just kind of want to go, okay, you just dropped It's like crisis pot. after crisis yeah. after crisis. After, but there is, there's a physiological adaptation to how we respond. There is an actual endorphin hit mm-hmm. that happens. And there is an addiction part of that where people will continue to create crisis. So they either have A, something to, to fix or they feel important, Mm -hmm. or they just aren't prepared to slow that particular situation down and look at it differently. Um, When we, you know, look at things differently and we take the moment to step back, there's a couple of tactics we can talk about right now. You know, there's two really solid ones, I think, that uh, we both agreed on. Okay, so before we go to that, though, let's think about, first off, if you're listening to this, as you listen to this, I want you to consider, you know, how do you respond to a crisis? And what is a crisis? You know, we joke and I tease you about, you know, living on five acres and being a small kind of hobby farm, if you will, and equipment and tractors and all the things that go on on an acreage. You sometimes have a crisis, and 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 I look at it and go, okay, no problem. Yeah, calm it's, down. It's yeah. Calm down. <laughs> it's not a crisis, but it's so it it really is. But you having the awareness around how you respond to it. So that's the first place. How do you respond to a crisis, and what actually is a crisis to you? You know, in business, it can be. I use the example of uh, one of your best staff seemingly walk in the door. You got nothing around, and they go, "I quit." I'm giving you notice. Now, the good news is they gave you notice. The bad news is they gave you notice. And then you have to ask yourself, how am I going to respond to that? So the first thing that you need to consider is what are the steps? As soon as you have that awareness, they walk in the door. What is your response? Okay, I walk in. Stephanie, I'm out. Well, there you go. There's two ways of reacting. Mm-hmm. There's response and then there's reactivity. So what I've learned to do is in the moment when I have that reaction in my body, I take a breath. Mm -hmm. I actually slow my breathing down. I bring my body into this sort of deep belly breathing scenario where I can change my reactivity into just responding um, a lot more calmly. It's a a learned skill. It is. And we, um, I guess we would probably be known by our circle of influence as the two people. And we have people that do the same with us is when something's happening and somebody's expressing to us that something's happening, we always use the phrase, 
remember to breathe. And it really is important that we understand that as much as what's happening is happening in our mind and is in our head and it's real and that person's standing in front of you and they just gave you the resignation and they're the most important person that you could have on the team and they're leaving, it's still creating a physiological response. And it's up to us to have the awareness to actually step back from it and manage our response mental. But in the meantime, our mental is driven by our physical. That's right. Our physiology will have a natural reaction and it spikes the hormones in your body. The stress response is real. Mm -hmm. So what the breathing does, if you can get it down in your belly and just really start to slow it down and practice this when you're not in crisis, right? And mm -hmm. not just in a meditative state, you can practice this. I practice this every single day where I yeah. do a certain exercise to, to breath to increase my motivation, to decrease a, an arousal situation if I'm too fired up. Mm -hmm. And it's learning through different scenarios where you can control your breath because the breath actually creates the pause. And when you can do that and you have the resiliency and the, um, the experience of knowing that the first thing that's going to come out of my mouth probably isn't going to be super popular right now because mm. I'm really mad. So instead of being mad and reacting to the scenario is that I take a deep breath. And I know it sounds silly, but with even with athletes, when they're fired up and they're nervous, there's actually different breathing. Like there's like um, short ins, like and that. Yeah. And the ends could be through your nose as could well. Could be through your nose. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's having those. And just, you know, I just looked at a bunch of different breathing exercises, and it's absolutely amazing what you can do when you can control your breath. And this is not about huffing and puffing, by the way. So this is, that's a different one. That's that big, <laughs> you know, that big exasperated. <laughs> that's not the same. That's the frustrated. But, but although, although there's some uh, value in that, you know, the point is, is that we want to bring in that breath, in that oxygen, get down into our bellies, if you will. And it's controlled breathing. It's intentional breathing. And it does change your physiology. We've all had that moment in time where our heart is racing and we've got whatever is happening, happening at us and based on excitement or fear, whatever emotion is wrapped around it. And we do have to take the we literally have to have the awareness to take a breath. And that could be in the presence of one or many that were actually internally freaking out and melting down, but we can't show it. And breathing is what it takes to do that. And the mantra and the line that I've used over the years, and it's been very, very helpful for me and for my clients is that, yes, this is happening, but it's not happening to me. It's happening. Yes. But if I feel like it's happening to me, then I can be very victimized and I can be very defensive and reactive. But if I realize, okay, I'm the observer now, take a look, use my skills, use my training, my maturity, look at it, decide how I'm going to respond before I actually speak any, any words. You know, there's interesting that it's the observation of how it is in the scenarios. So we walk through certain scenarios in our mind. How would we react if, okay, so these are all things that, you know, uh, are crisis management. So we know that breathing, the breathing technique really works in that moment. Also, we can get into a real self deprecating conversation. So something happens, I'm, you know, and you start really uh, making yourself wrong, you start criticizing yourself, which then takes away any space you might have for creativity. So the next one was by uh, a great tip, and uh, she wrote from a, Mel Robbins. Mel, she wrote a book on it. 
And I don't remember the name of the book. I think it's called The Five Second Rule. The Five Second Rule. And it is The Five Second Rule. And it's as ridiculous as it sounds, and she'll tell you that. The Five Second Rule is count to five. One, two, three, four, five. Or one, one thousand, two, one thousand. Whatever it is yeah. for you to yeah. give yourself that. Doesn't have to be allowed, by the way. That disconnect. Doesn't have to be allowed. No, no, certainly doesn't. Yeah, inside your head. <laughs> Use your inside voice, Patrick. <laughs> Use your inside voice. Why is that though? What's the psychology behind it? Why is that? Well, it, it takes us out of our rash. It takes us out of our reactive mind and puts us back into our rational mind. So it replaces the thought. So the same thing it does is actually puts us in our rational and our objective mind and takes us out of our reactivity. So you're replacing one thought with counting to five. So the negative or the self-deprecating thought kind of gets goes to the back of the line. Right. And all next thing you know, you've shifted your mindset. It is the simple thing. I think the, the term is bringing that count to the front cortex of your brain. Frontal cortex. Frontal yep. cortex of your brain. And it replaces the crisis thought. So it takes discipline to do that, by the way. But this is really what we're talking about in Mindset Matters. How do we elevate? How do we take it to the next level? And sometimes we just want to be drama kings or queens. Sometimes we want to be pissed off. Sometimes we want to have the reaction we have because we think it's going to have some kind of impact. But in the world of the the greatest stoics, you know, that was their whole job was to actually step back from it, be aware of how they're going to react. If we're talking in Mindset Matters to a group of leaders and those individuals who want to be great leaders, it does mean that we have to bring it back into our awareness. And these are techniques that set us up to be actually a grounding force in sometimes in times of crisis, because it might you may not be the only one that's at the effect of a crisis. You may be in the room. When somebody gives a resignation, you may be at a boardroom table and they just went, no, for impact, I'm quitting now. So all of a sudden, everybody else could be in a crisis. If you're the leader of that team, you have to be able to assess it very quickly, nanoseconds, get grounded, not react, but actually think in your mind how you're going to handle the situation, which means being stoic which is being kind of reaction-less for a moment. Disconnected, it almost seems sometimes. Sure. And I think people that are able to do that can be observed or perceived as cold Mm -hmm. or distant or you don't care. Well, I would rather in a crisis moment, like you say, there's a few tips that we're going to talk about today. And the first one is to assess, is to step back and assess what's really going on. Well, you said something earlier, you know, when we talked about, you know, first responders, you know, there was, this was a, actually a comedian who said, what are you talking about first responders? They're not the first responders. They're generally the second responders. The first responders are the guy that phoned them, right? <laughs> They're the first responders. <laughs> They're the first responders. And it, but, but there was a, there's a, 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 a layer of truth in that, that if you came across that kind of scenario, you are the first responder. It is then up to you as how you're going to assess that situation and you're going to actually be able to make the call. And as you're making the call, being able to assess in in the situation. So that means actually having the wherewithal, the awareness of not overreacting, not uh, panicking would be one of the things that could happen in that scenario before you make the call so that you can actually help a first responder. Yeah, because panic doesn't help. Panic doesn't help. <laughs> no, it, does it really doesn't. <laughs> yes. When you think about it, and if you can understand the, the, the creating the connection to the breath and to the five second rule or the pause or the stoicism in that moment, it, cre- it actually gets the immediate situation 
under control. Yes. And from a crisis management situation, and we and you've had an expert on crisis management um, on the Everyday Millionaire podcast. So we have have met people who actually do this for a living. Mm-hmm. And when I think about crisis management and that moment of assessment, stepping back and observing, I call it the flight attendant role. Mm. Right. You think about the training that flight attendants get in mm. order to just fly and keep us safe. Right. They're not just um, no, you know, they're waitresses not. in the sky. OK, I, I got to share this story. Uh, you know, this was several years ago now that one we were I was giving out an award and the a rain was at a rain meeting. It right? was at a rain meeting. And at a meeting, there's like a couple hundred people in the room. This person comes up to get the award. And as she stepped up on it, she stumbled and the edge of the stage had an aluminum rate i'm not a railing uh, an aluminum edge around it anyways long story short she falls hits her shin blood everywhere so two members of the audience come up they help they jump up they jump up help this lady off the stage i go give me a minute because you know i'm actually uh, hosting and i i kind of walk out and within the, you know with like a couple minutes later and by the time i get there they're already triaging her they both happen to be flight attendants by the way but they're got you know they phone the ambulance they've got a list of all the drugs that she might be taken like in terms of medication so that they can give that to the ambulance driver it was like okay my job here is done thank you very much i'm going back out into the audience so the point is is that that training really was they just took control they go i got this go and they just got it handled and what about us just normal people that maybe don't have that training say my my fear we we have to get a saint john's uh, ambulance certification every three years for example Mm -hmm. as a coach we have to do all this training but ultimately if we're just calling 911 and we're the first responder and we're we're assessing the situation and if it's a something like what happened at the rain meeting um and but there's somebody there that's more qualified mm-hmm. then it's also important to find that out and identify and create that little scenario so that even though you may have been the first person on the scene of a crisis if there are people there that are have more information or is there a doctor on board right. for example it's a common one it's a common one yeah. so these types of crises they they are trainable and that's really what i find is so important because what would a train I was asked myself what would a flight attendant what would a trained professional do in this moment of crisis so basically look for people who are remaining calm right that's another one is ask for help is there anybody here that can help you know and that's it, it comes but it goes back to this is all part of the training can you get and understand the emotionality even if you're freaking out Internally, can you kind of bring it mentally and get present to what's going on? And, and compartmentalize. Yes. So when you training. observe that, that comes from training, but it also comes from the ability to know yourself. And one of the things that I've really discovered over the years in the certain scenarios, when I'm under pressure or a, a something hits, and I'll tell a story a little bit later about what's happened to me and how mm-hmm. I've been able to Great elevate my, yep. uh, my ability to stay calm, is that we realize that Uh, So assessing is the first thing. So number two is getting the situation under control is that when you identify things that are going on in that scenario, we have to prioritize people over things, people over property, human beings over the car of the car accident. Mm -hmm. There's there is just a simple rule. People first, people priority over property. That's four pieces. Right. So and let's go back and because that's on the extreme side of things. And I always want to bring it back to that, you know, I'll use that example of that important member of the team that walks in and says, I got to quit. 
or I'm leaving. And for whatever reason, I mean, it doesn't make it any better if their reason is totally legitimate. It's just like, it doesn't make it any better. It really doesn't. Having had that scenario happen to me uh, many times over the years, uh, whether they're walking in because they're just done with the job or for whatever reason, or they actually have a, a their own family crisis that they're dealing with. And guess what? I got to go. You know, my wife or my significant other, my husband is being transferred. I'm going with him, whatever the scenario is. It doesn't make it any easier. And back to people over property, in any of those scenarios, you have to step back from it and listen and find out what's really going on for that person. And you got to step behind it and uh, put yourself not first and actually listen closely to that individual, which then brings you into any scenario, any crisis, which is to step back from it and look at that particular scenario. And really important, uh, you know, we talk about training and I, and I just, you know, we go to the extremes of things about how important this training is, right? And, and we can be trained for anything. You know, I, I, you know, 37 years in business, you've been almost that many years in business. We handle a lot of things from financial crisis to staff crisis to whatever business crisis. There's always something that seems that's happening as an entrepreneur. But I go back to the transcripts I read of Scully Sullinger or however you pronounce his last name. No, the pilot that landed the plane. The landed the plane on the pot. On the Potomac. Potomac River. And, you know, in that black box or in those that like he's landing the plane, they're actually you're listening to him. And it's like you would never know that he was even about to crash land a plane on a river with 300 people or whatever it was. And he but because he had been in simulator training and in training for many, many years, <clears throat> he'd flown, I think he'd flown fighter jets as well or something. But his extreme like, I don't think his heart rate changed. He was just going to land the plane on the river, which he did. Yeah. And that comes from training. So the point of it is, is that he had actually gone through that stimu stimulation. <laughs> how about simulation uh, on a number of occasions, right? And so when we're looking at how we react to situations, there is a, a mental process training that we can go through. Well, but there you go. I mean, he was to protect the people at all costs. Right. He didn't panic. If, if he would have panicked, he wouldn't have protected the people. Right. Yes. So, I mean, you look at those. I mean, that's an extreme story. And, and I think it's really important to relate to. But when we move into going from assessment into observation and getting the situation under control and understanding that we have to take care of the people like the lady that fell on the stage on the stairs, you, they, the, the, the flight attendants took care of her. They weren't worried about who was going to clean up the blood. No. Nope. Right. They were it's about people and you see where the priority lives. The third one is to analyze the situation for what it is and gather information fast, because if you're in your panic mode and you've activated that that um, that uh, adversity uh, stress in your body, you don't have access to your rational mind. So given the third step is to analyze, like actually give yourself time to analyze the situation, step back, look at it. And there's three questions. Three questions that you have to ask yourself. Okay, before we ask those questions, are we going to go one, two, three, four, five? Yes. I think that would be good. That's excellent. Or take a deep breath. Or take a deep breath. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that's the process, right? So if we're yeah. looking at these as, as sort of little steps, we're weaving through this conversation. Mm -hmm. The first one would be to connect to the breath, maybe do a countdown, get the situation under control, identify where, what is needs to be looked after in terms of people over property, and then analyze the situation. So there's three questions. And once your rational mind is, has, has softened and you're present, 
connect to the breath. Ask yourself, what happened? Second one, what happens now? Third one, what happens next? Mm -hmm. This is so, so key. It's so simple, but it will bring you to the place of being grounded when all around you are freaking out. And um, the, ne the next part is what this allows you to do is to then scan your memory banks and access a familiar scenario that you may have had in the past, you may have heard of in the past, you may have trained or studied in the past, or maybe somebody even told you about something like this that had happened. But if you're in your panic mode, you don't have access to that rational brain. So you ask yourself, what happened? What happens now? And what happens next? And do I have a memory of this somewhere? And because I'm in my rational brain, my memory will kick in. If I'm panicking, I have no memory because we go into fight, flight, or freeze. I would add a fourth question to that that just popped into my head. And this is one that you'll get as soon as I tell you about it, because we've talked about it over the years, is that when you have somebody that you admire and the question that you ask is, what would Bill do, mm -hmm. right? So if you don't have the experience, it's one thing to rely on experience if you've got it. But if you've never been in that scenario before, once you get grounded, all you can do is ask, them, what would Bill do? Yeah. And if you admire that person, then you have to kind of take on that persona, if you will, and kind of you know, flesh it out and say, what would he do or what would she do? And it's a way to, again, get out of the reactionary state and then make you think through the process differently, which is going to take some of the sharpness or the edge off the crisis. You know, we talk about it, you know, what is a crisis for you in that moment is old hat to somebody else. Absolutely. Well, you know, the crisis I've been thinking about over the last little while because of the Olympic Games coming up again, and um, there are things that happen on the way to the Olympics. There's things that happen on the way to a competition that we fold in and have to deal with. But when something, a crisis happens in the middle of a competition, and I have a quick story. It's 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 from 2006, and uh, the skaters I was working with had a, a, a devastating fall 30 seconds before the end of their program. And it was like unbelievable. Nobody could believe it happened. And you could feel the presence of massive fear just hit the arena. The coaching staff, the federation, uh, myself included, nobody knew what was going to happen. So when Patrice picked Mary France up and carried her off the ice, we knew there was a problem. Mm -hmm. So I had to ask myself as their personal performance coach and their mental coach was what happened? I had to go into stoic and observer mode because everyone is freaking out. The doctor was freaking out, running up and down the side and the Federation people were screaming and yelling and the, looking for medics. And I had to stand quietly and go, what happened? What happens now? Okay, we need to get her to medical. Someone has to be calm. And what happens next? Okay, next we'll probably, we'll have to figure out how to get her to the hospital. We're in Italy. We don't speak Italian. Her parents are there. His parents are there. We then have to decide in that moment, I have to decide how I'm going to manage that, how I'm going to create a communication plan and what's going to happen next, which is, is there a withdrawal? Is there an injury? Is there something that's life-threatening for her? Because she's, she's the priority, right? And the Olympic medal was a priority? Absolutely. But it came secondary to that. Well, there was one other thing that had to be added to that, and which was a a thought that had to be made and a decision that had to be made in a moment, which was Patrice carried Marie-France off the ice, 30 seconds from a medal. Almost, yeah. You know, really, almost, you know, and they would have medaled. They, we, they, that performance was flawless short of that moment in time, and it was a catastrophic 
incident, but she had to go to the kiss and cry Mm -hmm. and she had to go to the kiss and cry because it would disqualify them. Or I don't remember the story, Mm -hmm. but it was like, Oh yeah. And on top of all the other stuff, you have to sit in front of the world. (laughs) You have to sit in front of the world in pain uh, and, and go through this whole process of judging protocol, protocol, right? And you had to follow that protocol. Now, I'm sure if it would have been, you know, blood all over the ice, it would have been a different scenario. But the point is, is that that just adds another layer of decision-making that has to be made in the assessment. So these assessments aren't like you're kicking back with a pen and a paper. (laughs) You know, they're happening in nanoseconds. And these are the things, but that comes back to training. It does. And the interesting thing, and I remember what my role, I got very hyper, hyper, vigilant. My my vision narrowed. I became very focused on what I had to do next. And while we're in the kiss and cry, all I can think of is where are the parents? What do I have to do? How do I take care of her? How do I get Patrice looked after? Because he is not going to be okay. If it's his wife. It's, yeah, it's his wife-to-be and his partner. Mm-hmm. And his, this is not... So I had to go and expand my awareness as to what happens next? And what I noticed was the people that I thought would have had the training to be calm and to be grounded and to make sure that this was going to happen didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And so when I zoom ahead to 2018 in Pyeongchang and I'm with the French team and with Gabriela Papadakis and her dress broke mm-hmm. 30 seconds into the program, that's also a crisis. Sure. So I'm already, I don't know if you remember, but I'm walking back and forth, freaking out, going, okay, what's going to happen? How are they going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? Thinking of the media, thinking of, you know, of course, of them first. You're freaking out mentally, by the way, not... No, oh yeah, no, it didn't show anything. (laughs) Well, I think what what I did was I accessed the memory. Sure. I went all the way back to 2006 and going, okay, this is a crisis. Mm -hmm. I have to take care of Gabriella and Guillaume, Mm -hmm. period. And I have to slow this down because this could cost a medal. You know, there's something called a costume deduction, and I'm not even sure the judges saw it. She handled it so beautifully. But at the end of the program, as Guillaume was dipping her, her dress came down, and on across the world, her nipple showed. Mm-hmm. I mean, some TV stations kind of blocked it out or whatever, but out, yeah. ma- many didn't. And it was really disgusting. And I was super angry. So my job became that nice to make sure that we had a conversation about, okay, what happened? What happened? So they we did an analysis. What happened? Okay, what happens now? Well, we need to get over the blame. We need to get over the embarrassment and mm-hmm. the shame and all the things that went into it. And then by two or three in the morning, we got to what happens next. And what mm-hmm. happened to happen next is they had to get up and skate the next day. And in that particular scenario, they won the free dance. Mm-hmm. So I accessed, even though it was in two two different decades, for mm-hmm. example, two different countries, two different scenarios. Olympics, yep. two different scenarios. It was the same response. Mm-hmm. And what I've realized is that I have the training and the resilience training to be that person in those moments. Everything slows down for me. Mm-hmm. It just goes zoom, and it gets quiet. And it's like I access this whole other side of what I do. And part of that was the resilience training we did, you know, through Rain and Paul Stoltz and through skating and the NHL. You know, I got my ass kicked there a bunch sure. of times. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm also wondering too, is that, you know, when you think about it and you look at 
aside from the training, you know, can you think of a time where you didn't respond that way? You know, can you think about the time where you were a shit show? You know, I could probably go back and think of some times where I just totally overreacted. You know, mine is generally, I'll, I, in the past, it would have been to snap to anger, right? You know, so I snap show and, and I, I lose my temper over something and, you know, say things that I probably regret later. I mean, that, that all ended quite a long time ago, many years ago. That was all BS. No, before Stephanie? Before Stephanie. <laughs> anyway, or belief system. Before belief your belief system, system changed. Or my belief system yeah. changed. So, you know, I think the first phase of all of this is to, you know, because if you're listening to this and you start to look at some scenarios, you may want to make yourself wrong. Don't. Count to five. Start to say, how will I be in the future? How can I show up being more stoic? How can I be the leader in that scenario that people get anchored and grounded to because of, of how I'm being? Now, some of you are already there, no doubt about it, but there's always a next level. There's always a landing on the river in a jet airplane with 300 people, right? It's like there's always a next level of awareness that we bring ourselves to and a training that we can give ourselves to, uh, you know, to make sure that we are prepared in advance. And back to what we've just talked about several times now and the first awareness. So let's just quickly go through what we need to do. Are we ready to do that? Sure. First off, count. Count at least to five. Count to five. Simplest rule in the world. That's all about rearranging the thoughts in your brain. It's to take the, what we refer to often as the charge, that kind of whatever that might be, fear, anger, uh, exuberance, whatever it might be. You might want to get rid of that. So one, two, three, four, five, and do that. You may have to do that more than once. Okay? And be then a, take a deep, deep breath. breath. Belly breaths. Belly breaths, get your breathing under control and intentional about your breathing so that you're actually getting oxygenated, trying to slow that heart rate down. That comes from the breathing. What's next? Well, the next one for me is observe. 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 Take your eye gaze and make sure that you're using your focus and analyzing the situation uh, from, a, from the, the state of being the observer. Pull yourself out of the scenario it's happening, but it's not happening to you. It's happening in nanoseconds. But what if it is happening to you, by the way? Well, I still say it's not happening to me. Okay, well, give us a little bit more information. Well, I guess when you think of a car accident, I've been in many car accidents. The car accident happened. Mm -hmm. And if I would have said, okay, it happened to me, then I'd be a victim. And then mm -hmm. I'd be chasing the insurance company for this and that and making that person wrong and trying to scam the system or whatever. But you have to take the reality of what is. A car accident happened. And yes, I was in the car. Mm -hmm. Now I have to worry about getting myself out healthy, maybe some physio, going, getting a new car. Mm -hmm. It gives me a new to-do list. But for many people, it puts them into victim mode. Well, it puts them into a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. Look what happened to me. That's mm -hmm. the adversity quotient that we talked about earlier. Okay. So then uh, assess the situation, ask for help if that's possible. You know, is there an expert around you? Is there an expert on your team? Is there an expert in the house? Yeah. And to really, you know, put yourself in a place of, of holding that space for the experts to do their job. And if there's nobody and you are the person, then you do the very, very best you can because crisis has a way of putting things in perspective. Okay. Then you said there was three questions, what we ask ourselves. Number one, what happened? What's the truth? What happened? Marie fell. Got it. What happens now? Well, now we have to look around find the resources, make sure that she gets looked after. 
And then what happens next? Okay, what's the ripple effect in the smallest, in the next few minutes, in the now, in the next few minutes, in the next few days, the next few weeks? So when that happens, it creates a timeline. And it also allows the perspective. So everything gets filtered through how you've handled the crisis, for example. So when, for me, in the, in both of these scenarios that happened in, in the ice dance world, is that I had to st stick really strongly to my values, people first. Because a lot of people just wanted to make it wrong. They wanted to, there's still people that are still angry that Gabby and Guillaume won silver and not gold. Ang like people have quit skating and quit judging because of that five, four years ago. They didn't have the resiliency or the ability to look at a crisis that wasn't even theirs. Well, I think there's a couple things around that where this conversation gets really big and really deep is, you know, there is crisis that isn't an incident, you know, necessarily. It is something that unfolds over time where it then escalates to a crisis. And that could be the breakdown of a relationship, a partnership, a marriage. Uh, it could be the breakdown in the world of real estate of a joint venture partnership. Uh, maybe it's a relationship with the bank and it's a breakdown of financing at last minute. These are all things that create crisis. And are we really prepared to handle crisis? You know, it's interesting in the real estate world and in the business world, you know, coaching many people over the years, you see the different reactions. You know, the bank said no at the last minute. The joint venture partner pulled the check out at the last minute. There's there's these moments in time or there's a breakdown in a relationship that uh, creates the business to come apart or to have a moment in time. And, you know, you really have to stop to realize that there that's life happening. And how are you going to deal with it as accomplished leaders, as an accomplished leader, uh, as somebody who wants to up their game? We have to be able to handle these situations because they're going to they're going to happen. As leaders, we put ourselves in. We create this. You know, if you're going to be that individual that is driving for more to create a bigger, bolder, better business, a bigger, bolder, better career life, you're going to put yourself in scenarios where, guess what? You're going to be walking the edge, and, and you're going to be tested, and you're going to be tested. And uh, well, that's and and that's I think something we don't want to step over. Uh, something that you and I have learned at this point in our lives many years later is that whatever is coming our way, we have one fundamental rule. It's all for the greater good and we can't see it right now, but we've just gone through the eye of the needle and what's coming at us next is going to be bigger, better, bolder, whatever phraseology more means, more fun. And at the end of the day, whatever the universe and consciousness throws at us, and some might call that God, whatever that might be for you, at the end of the day, we have to be able to look at it from that scenario because that immediately, for me, makes me come back to lots of years of experience. And here's what I've come to learn about myself. And I share this in all honesty. I know that when I am the most pushed, the most stressed, the most, the biggest challenges that I've got, it's because something much bigger and better is about to unfold and happen for me. I think that's a really good point. And we've come to that many times over the last few years and the last few decades that we've been together is that it always, none of this has been easy, you know, but it's been worth it. And what I've learned through the adversity and through the resilience that I've had to build and the commitment that I have to having a great life and to making a huge difference on the planet is that it brings me back down to that moment of going, we either believe this stuff or we don't. Yeah. 
you know, 100%. and from a mindset matter standpoint, like th- these are matters of the mind, matters of the heart, matters of the soul, that if we're not prepared to have these conversations or at least to stretch into understanding how we react to crises or how we react to adversity actually makes a difference for the next step of where we're going or the next step of what it is that we're trying to create. But the truth of the matter is, is that what is happening is happening because it needs to happen. If it didn't need to happen, it wouldn't be happening. So do you, I have, or do you have the skills, the experience to draw on, to slow things down, have a couple of skills and some tactics, breath, count to five, assess, honor your, honor your fear in that moment, don't react, learn how to respond. These kinds of things are trainable. They seem so simple though, don't they? When you say that, and then you're in the scenario and you lose your shit. I know, right? <laughs> okay, folks. Well, listen, hopefully this has been helpful. Mindset matters matter. And uh, we'd love your feedback. CEO at reincanada.com. Email me and Stephanie directly at CEO at raincanada.com. If you've enjoyed the pad- podcast, please share us, share it. Friends, or share family. us. Share us. Yeah. Absolutely. Share it. Or, share. or come and join us for the next uh, little while because we got some Mindset Matters sessions coming up. We do. And you can reach out to info at Rain Canada or CEO at Rain Canada to find out more about that. And uh, that's a wrap, Stephanie. Great Thanks. wisdom. Thanks for sharing your insights and uh, your stories. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time... Patrick out.